Hey everyone, it's a very quiet MJ from the edit bay here because I'm trying not to wake up my wife who is asleep in the other room because it's like 12.30 in the morning um, and I'm recording this just before the episode goes up. But um, I just want one, sorry for the ASMR, two at like the 52.25, 52.20 second mark. Um, things get a little spicy um, more than usual for our show. So if... Uh, you listen with kids in the room or you listen on a speaker uh maybe don't um do that for the rest of the episode it's not like wild wild and i think it fits the context of the scene but um we get into some uh talk about how this scene in particular deals with masculinity so just a heads up Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I am Sarah Buddery. And I am MJ Smith. And this week we are joined by a guest. Uh, We're joined by Cameron Harrison from the Green Shirt Podcast. Um, Cameron, welcome to the show. Hey, that's me. Thank you so much. I'm very excited. Of course, we're excited to have you. Um, Before we get started, obviously, we have to ask everyone the Jaws question, and I also uh, want to talk about, you've seen Jaws more recently than even the two co-hosts have. I have. Um, and in uh, <laughs> in glorious uh, theater settings, so um, we'll talk a little bit about that. But before we get to that part, part of your Jaws journey, um, <laughs> what is it about Jaws? Like, what are your, your Jaws memories that, that got you to saying, hey, I would like to talk about a minute or thereabouts of Jaws <laughs> on a podcast? It's a very specific uh, path, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yes. And yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's not too different from everyone else's who's been on here. I was definitely aware of Jaws all my living memory. I don't think I actually sat down. My first memory of sitting down and watching it, I must have been like eight, nine, ten. I remember, remember, there's an entire marathon of the entire Jaws cinematic universe on TV, probably like TBS or something, I feel like. And uh, I just, I remember like it was a weekend, I sat down, I watched all four of them, and I, cu- I couldn't even say why, but I fell in love. I loved those movies, and uh, it just kind of went on with me, and as I grew older and got more into film, you know, I gravitated specifically to Jaws, for obvious reasons, and, uh, and, and loved it. And then I got a job at a video store, where Jaws was like one of the ten movies on my constant rotation that I would just have on the TV, so I probably watched it dozens if not a hundred times uh over the course of my high school career uh just like picking out little pieces and falling more and more in love with it and then i went to film school and when you go to film school one of the first questions you're going to get hit by people with is what's your favorite movie so what's your favorite movie and you better have a good answer because that answer is going to stick with you for the next four years of your life and you're going to be judged on it so i thought about it i thought long and hard and i realized it was Jaws. Jaws ticked off all the boxes. It had the nostalgia factor like anytime watching it, watching it last night at the theater, I was magically transported back to that nine-year-old like pretending the couch was the orca. 
Um, it's got, you know, it's, but it's like so well crafted and so well made. Uh, it's, it's, it is a classic film. And then it's just a fun adventure film that has immense rewatchability. I mean, I don't need to tell you guys this, but these, this was the processes in my head, uh, the moments before I blurted out, Jaws, Jaws is my favorite movie. And I, I think that went over well with everyone. So that's, that's how I came to love Jaws. So you saw Jaws last night on the big screen, um, which is a rarity these days. Uh, <laughs> mm. Not just in, in, you know, because it's almost a 50-year-old movie, but because of everything going on. So what was that like, like watching watching it in in these uncertain times? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, so yeah, I, I was scheduled to come on the podcast this weekend. And then I was just perusing my local indie theaters listings. And bam, there was Jaws this weekend. It was the universe talking to me, telling me to go watch it in the theater again. Uh, I'd seen it in the theater only once before, which blew my mind. Jaws is a different film in the theater than mm-hmm. uh, on your home TV. So if you haven't seen it, seek it out. Uh, yeah, it was great. I wore my Jaws face mask. I had to, of course. I, I don't know if that's like wearing the t-shirt of the band to the band, but I did it. I don't <laughs> care. Uh, they were serving Gansett in the theater lobby. So good. I did not get one. I'm sorry. They, I, I'm not a huge beer drinker, and they were the tall boys, so it wasn't. 100% authentic, yeah. but uh, yeah, <laughs> but I thought it was super cool, and, and lots of people around me had them, and you better believe uh, when when Quint swigs his Gansett, everyone around me took a big swig, <laughs> uh, and and it was great, uh, you know, just hearing the audience respond, I, I, I really wondered how many people there were first-timers, because there were, like, laughs and jumps at parts that I think only a first-timer would really like, mm-hmm. someone not expecting what was coming, Uh but yeah, all it, you know, it's 50 years, like you said, and it still works like a modern movie. Like the audience, they laughed, they jumped, they cheered, they clapped when Brody mm-hmm. shoots the shark at the end. Spoiler! The, I mean, the crowd erupted in, in cheers. It was amazing. Oh, that's great. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's just, and you know, I love watching old movies in theaters like that yeah. too, because it's, it's like a time machine, especially when it's on film and you've got the scratches and it just, it, you feel like you're in in a theater the first time it was shown. Just to like answer your uh, specific question right quick about watching it nowadays in our uncertain times, uh, you guys have talked a lot about how Jaws correlates with our current situation. Mm-hmm. And there were, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I forget exactly which moment, one of the moments with the mayor, I think where he's like sending everyone into the water or maybe one of the times he's talking to Hooper, but like there was a, a ripple of a chuckle through the crowd that was a hundred percent like <laughs> we know what's going on. We a hundred percent relate with what's happening yeah, on the screen can right now. Relate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We lived through this. <laughs> yes, slash yeah. are still living through it. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, you could just kind of sense the audience, probably a lot of them weren't ex- I was expecting that because I've been listening to your podcast, but they it probably kind of took them by surprise, like Oh, this is a metaphor for right now. Yeah, from 40-something years ago. Yeah. A 46-year-old, like, Babe Ruth calling the shot. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is that the only time Mayor Vaughn's going to be compared to Babe Ruth? Yeah, probably. Well, I was thinking more like Spielberg eventually in Gotham. Oh, okay, 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 yeah, yeah. Fair. We're done with the mayor, but uh, we're not done with the tension. And I think this scene mm. is uh, is very tense. Um, mm-hmm. The timestamp we have this week is one hour, 14 minutes and 19 seconds to one hour, 16 minutes and 22 seconds. Um, 
the scene starts off uh, innocently enough with uh, Quint <laughs> trying to teach Brody how to tie um, uh, a knot uh, after he had complained about the knot in the last one. Quint was kind of <laughs> like, okay, you do it then. <laughs> um, and then uh, Quint's fishing reel starts to click. And uh, Quint prepares for battle. So he, he kind of stares down the reel and, and makes a, a decision on the fly that he's going to need to be battling this, uh, this thing that's on the end of the line. And um, he sits up in his chair. He quits eating his snack. Uh, <laughs> and he, he pulls the rod into a little holder that kind of sits between his legs. He... he places his feet on a footboard between it. He straps into his chair. He hooks the, the, the straps to the reel. And then it goes. Uh, it starts pulling a bunch of line and he starts barking orders at Hooper to reverse the boat, at um, Brody to, to start wetting the reel so that it doesn't catch fire. Um, and that's uh, kind of it. We leave it him yelling at Hooper again. Um, that's, it's close to where the, the, scene, uh, the scene ends. Um, yeah, and that's that's the first kind of battle we have with with the shark, or the beginning of the first kind of battle we have with the shark. So, uh, Cameron, what did you notice about this scene? Uh, whether it was watching it this week in preparation or watching <laughs> it last night uh, in a theater? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot I could uh, grab immediately. There's a lot of low hanging fruit that I'm tempted by, but watching the whole thing last night, you know, it kind of struck me how we've always talked about how. You know, the movie is obviously like very much two parts, but I just like realized just how from like a structural writing point, it really is like two separate stories. You know, we've left the first story, which has its own three X structure. It's got its own villain and Mayor Vaughn. He's been defeated. And now we're moving on to like story number two. Mm -hmm. And we are still in or we're back in the first act of the second half of the movie, um, which is just stellar writing, stellar writing by everyone involved that like. There's two three-act structures in this movie, and it works all seamlessly as one big three-act structure. I don't know how they did that. Um, <laughs> like, this movie's really well-written, guys. Uh, but more specifically to this scene is uh, Brody's character arc, which I, I, I love so much. Because, again, he has a full character arc in the first half of the movie. He goes from, you, you used the term a lot last uh, week, we're going to use it a lot this week, a fish out of water on the island you know he's trying to navigate uh the island politics you know he's he's the sheriff but in name only the the mayor walks all over him you know he knows things aren't safe but he he kind of lets uh the mayor get his way and then by the end of the first half of the movie you know he's come a full character arc he's he's now uh you know we've got that great scene with him and the mayor and he's getting his way and he's telling the mayor what they're going to do and he rips open the curtain and walks all you know he's now the hero of the first half of the movie he's done his fair uh his full character arc he's accomplished or he's he's defeated his obstacle his most recent obstacle which is being this new town sheriff in a completely alien environment to him but now now in the second half of the movie we're like getting to the point where like his longtime fear his longtime obstacle in his life his fear of the water and the fear of the ocean he has to overcome. And it's just such a stark difference from the Brody who tore open that curtain in the hospital to where we are now, uh, you know, seasick, not able to tie a simple knot. But here we but here we are. We're in the first uh, first act again. And he's he's taking his first steps to 
becoming the Brody we're going to see at the end of the movie, which again is a completely different Brody. And just watching, we, we get to watch this character change not once but twice in this movie, and that's 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 the gift that keeps giving of Jaws. Mm. That's a a super interesting thought, and I I wrote something down in my notes, but I wasn't really sure about the kind of like wider meaning of it but hearing you talking about that that just now and how Brody has these sort of almost complete arcs in the sort of first and second half and they're very very different is right at the start of this scene he's being taught how to tie this knot but he's being taught like how you would teach a child (laughs) so Mm -hmm. this like second half of the film is like the the rebirth of Brody I guess it's like a weird way of looking at it but the we, I don't think we ever see this dynamic again, uh, sort of like father-son type of thing between Brody and, and Quint, but it's like, from from Quint in the last scene being like, you know, hey, Chiefy, you know, ask me if you if you want to know what, <laughs> what not to pull or whatever, <laughs> and is now sort of like teaching him, he's like, you know, come and, come and sit down here with me, son, <laughs> and I'll teach you how to how to tie this knot, but the way he does it with this kind of like little brown eel thing that he's doing... <laughs> It's like how you get a kid to like tie their shoelaces, right? This is this is very <laughs> very similar to how a parent would, you know, the bunny ears I'm thinking of with the when you're tying yeah. your shoelaces is is something that parents do. Um so yeah, I I had never really thought about it in that way before. Like Brody has that very heroic defeating of the the mayor in the first half of the film, the ripping open of the curtain that I love and enjoy so much. Um and he has his very heroic end uh, end of the film, uh, as we know, as we have already spoiled and <laughs> will continue to spoil <laughs> uh, what happens right at the end of the film. But yeah, he he's kind of gone back to like regressed slightly, and obviously yeah. we don't know whether the drowning thing happened when he was younger, presumably. Um, but he is almost having to like face that that childhood trauma, that thing that happened him to him by sort of going back to being like a child. I mean, he is bossed around mm. by by Quint and Hooper and he is in no way dominant at all for a for a long while uh in this in this half of the film. That's a that's a very interesting thing to think about. I I've not connected the dots, but yeah, I I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh two two things on that. One, I'm currently trying to teach my kid how to tie his shoelaces and he is not responding to the bunny, but he is super <laughs> into sea animals. So I might try this little brown eel trick. I'll let oh, you guys yeah. know how it goes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and two, it's, it's not just that, but like the look he gives when his knot fails that first time and, and Quinn's like, oh, not very good, is it? The look on Brody's face is like so sullen and like, because I, I used to always kind of assume Brody was like, hey, maybe I should learn some knots. But now I'm thinking, like, Quint put him in the corner of the boat and was like, you are going to learn to tie a knot. This is your punishment <laughs> for almost blowing us up. Because it, it really is. You are, you're spot on. He's It's very childlike, almost. And then the only other um, father-child dynamic, I guess, is, is later. But it's a bit more abusive when uh, mm. between Quint and Brody. Yeah, I think... Uh... The only way this works is to knock Brody back down to square one. The only way this film works is to knock Brody mm-hmm. back down to square one because um, this is not my analysis. So if you would like to see the longer version of this, please go watch my favorite YouTube channel of all time, the now defunct Every Frame of Painting. Um, he has a great video essay about Jackie Chan movies and why they work because it's obviously 
super well known that Jackie Chan is like one of the greatest martial artists that's ever walked the face of the planet. Um, and so once you see that, you have to keep that interesting movie to movie. And he taught, he kind of, kind of breaks down like why it works and why, like, especially in the stuff he was making overseas that, um, those movies are like, they're really funny, but they're also like really great action movies, but they have a lot of heart to them where you actually care about Jackie and they actually put him in situations where you, your brain gets tricked into thinking he might not quote, make it out of this. And a lot of it deals with him <laughs> starting in very vulnerable places. So like a lot of the stuff, he either ends up on the ground or with one hand behind his back or flat on his back, like stuff like that, where it's like, oh, he's at a clear disadvantage even as good as he is at his craft, like this is something he's going to have to overcome to fight these people. And I think that's what we see here where we've watched him overcome one thing. So it's like, well, where do we go from here? Well, we bring him right back to the beginning <laughs> of, um, you know, uh, he's got to take his lumps sort of, you know, we watched, uh, uh, oh, gosh, the Odenkirk, John Wick movie, nobody the other night. And <laughs> it did one of my favorite <clears throat> things. It's just, a, it's just kind of an okay, uh, John Wick knockoff. It's fun, but it did one of my favorite things in an action movie. And why I think I like the John Wick movies, which is they clearly paint this guy as like, Oh, he's a badass, Like he can do all this cool stuff, but he gets beat up a lot. And like, you see visible cuts and bruises on him. Mm. And like, he has to seek medical attention at certain points. And, um, you know, I think watching a hero that bleeds, like even metaphorically the way Brody does and, and stuff like this is way more interesting because we want to see like it gives us like a complete picture of who this person is. Like it makes them feel more like a person instead of just like a superhero or whatever. Um, and we see that, you know, here, like he's he's back at square one and taking his, his lumps of almost blowing them up or <laughs> um, doing bad at, you know, learning how to tie a knot for the sea. I really want the Roy Scheider John Wick movie now. Oh my it's god! A shame we never got it. <laughs> he would have been. He would have been great. So good. He yeah. would have been. Or a, Taken. He would have been yeah. a great Taken protagonist. Yeah, he's got very Liam Neeson like qualities, doesn't he? Hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a good way. Yep. <laughs> but all that is why I think, like, when people say he disappears in the second half of the movie, I'm like, no, he's he's the one with the huge character arc. Yeah. Like we see. Quint and Hooper have to learn to get along, and that's a lot of fun. I'm not trying to take away from that, but to see Brody go from the sullen child in the corner to single-handedly blowing up a near-supernatural shark, and you believe every step along the way, like, you don't do that by disappearing. He's just quieter is all. But he's got Mm -hmm. such a great journey to travel in this next hour of the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Roy Scheider sells the hell out of this performance as well. Like, I know we praise him every week, but it's just, you have to, you have to believe all of this. You have to be on Brody's side, like, from the start. And the great work that is done in his character arc in the first half of the film is so important in the second half because we have to believe him as the, as the family man. We have to believe him as the the fish out of water sheriff sheriff chief of police whatever in town as well sort of getting kicked around by the mayor we have to we have to buy into all of that so we then it's even more satisfying the the sort of second character arc he gets uh in in this half of the film and it's not 
I find that like I mean you're talking about you know seeing this in the, in the theater and when I've seen it in theaters as well like that bit at the end always gets a cheer and it is not a cheer because the shark has blown up it is a cheer because Brody has done it mm-hmm. because we we like Brody we like him from the very beginning of this film and we have to completely buy into that likability of the character otherwise the film just just doesn't work and there's so many other things going on character wise particularly in this in this second half of the film but Brody is so important he is different in the second half sure but he he's not he's not unimportant and i think that again just i mean i i always like to hammer this point home but when people are like oh this this film is is anti shark or whatever and it's you know at the end the shark blows up and you're cheering because the shark is dead it's like no we're not cheering because the shark is dead we're cheering because brody has won like there's there's a difference i know it's like a fine line but it's it's brody that we that we like it's brody that we want to succeed in this Totally. I also would like to propose that uh, we coin a new phrase. Instead of saying fish out of water, we should just all start saying Brody on a boat. <laughs> oh, it's the old Brody on a boat story. <laughs> oh, he's such yeah. a Brody on a boat. You've never seen a man more uncomfortable on the boat <laughs> than Brody. <laughs> he has no business heart. being here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's... It's funny, actually, the thinking of the tying the knot thing as well that he's doing right at the start of this scene. It's a it's a kind of a callback, I guess, to Quint sort of first meeting Hooper. And it got me thinking, I was like, is this mm-hmm. just like a weird ritual that Quint makes <laughs> everyone he meets, like, go through? Is just, like, throws a rope at them and is like, here, tie this knot or something. Because uh, that's what he does when he first meets Hooper. And it's very different the way that he's teaching Brody and we, we mentioned that father and son thing mm-hmm. uh, Hooper it's kind of like alright then like let's see what you've got and he uh, very aggressively sort of throws the rope at him to you know to, to prove what he can do but it's it's different the way he handles Brody um, but it's, I liked that sort of like callback I think in that bit Hooper says like oh I haven't had to pass like basic seamanship in a while or something yeah. and it's like now, <laughs> now Brody is being put being put through that as well i just think that's that's quite a nice callback there's another interesting callback uh, that i noticed with mm. with hooper as well um he's up on when he's up on the deck i never noticed before <laughs> maybe i'm just not very observant or maybe i've never watched this film minute by minute before um that he has a camera up on like mm-hmm. he's holding a camera in his hand when he's sort of up on the deck um, and he's reading what looks suspiciously to me like a National Geographic magazine. Um, it looks like there's some sort of countdown listicle, if you will, of like nature photographs. Um, so I spent more time than I sh- probably should have <laughs> trying to decipher that magazine. Yeah. And uh, I you think, but it, <laughs> I, it looks like they're all pictures of regulators, of breathing regulators. So I think it's a scuba diving magazine, like oh. counting down the top 20 regulators. I thought I could uh, see animals. Weird. Well, there's a parrot for sure. There's a there's definitely a parrot. And now I'm just think, imagining a, a scuba diving parrot. And I want to know what that looks like. Like, is he just in a helmet or does he have like a tiny little parrot suit? I don't Aww. know. But no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think what he's playing with is actually part of the regulars, the part that goes on the tank. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, it matches. You can see that it matches. Yeah. 
Well, there goes my cannon. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's got his camera that he uses later. And if he's reading a National Geographic and then it's like the, when the mayor is like, oh, you'd love that, wouldn't you? Get your name on the National <laughs> Geographic. So my headcanon, uh, Hooper is up there being like, oh, I can't wait to take a picture of this shark and get in the National Geographic. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that makes sense because he is trying to get a really good picture of the shark later with yeah, Brody in the yep. foreground. Uh, he needs something to <laughs> illustrate the scale. So that still checks out. That still checks out. (laughs) No, I thought it was a camera too. Um, I didn't have enough time because I am the guy who watches the scene at the last minute. I didn't have enough time to like really sit there and analyze it. But when I was looking at it, I was like, that's a camera. But then I was like, it looks too small to be a camera because it would have had a film canister in it. And yeah. And then I was like, I don't know what that is. And then we had to record. So... (laughs) (laughs) Well, then then maybe all my uh, Googling was not in waste. Because, yeah, I was like, I could almost make out those letters. I'm pretty sure the last word is regulator on it. <laughs> and uh, and just from Google, I'm guessing the magazine is called Skin Diver, which is not as dirty as it sounds. <laughs> but if you if you Google vintage scuba magazines, like 99% of the results are Skin Diver. Yeah. Uh, but you can't find actual articles. So that, that article may be lost to time. Yeah. What is that? Wow. Yeah. Why is there a parrot there? That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. It tricked me. That parrot is what made me think it was like a National Geographic, like best nature photographs, top 16 or something. Yeah. That dang parrot. It might even ruined. be like the like the guide for it. Like he's on step 16 of setting it up. <laughs> oh, maybe that. Yeah. Like He just bought all this equipment for this trip. <laughs> yeah. So well, now <laughs> another term coined instead of red herring, we now have to use the term white parrot. Oh, there's Sarah's white parrot again. Yeah, yeah. ruined everything. Um, My favorite part of that shot, though, is that when Quint, uh, you know, because he's talking to Brody, but then he turns around to check on Hooper almost as if, like, is he doing anything up there I can make fun of him for? Yeah. Yeah, I guess not. (laughs) Yeah, like, I feel like... I feel like Quint is constantly has a mindset of like, is there a locker I can shove Hooper into? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that shot is really interesting too. Like, it's just visually really appealing with the like the rope, and you have the reel, and then you have the. It's just like it's broken up in a really good way, um, and you have mm-hmm. like all three guys in the shot, and um, you know you have one like really close, kind of like far middle and then really long distance and mm-hmm. uh the it's just such an interesting movie to look at um which i you know i'm, I'm missing a, in a large scale blockbuster like it just <laughs> it's so like visually appealing like i just have it paused on this right now and i love the way this shot looks and it's like it's kind of like junky and busy but in a really like charming way it's not like overwhelming but it, it like it feels like lived in and and I don't know. It's a uh, it's a good looking movie. Hundred percent, MJ. Like just last night, there's a couple shots of them on the boat. I was noticing that. I was like, "Wow, that's a good shot." And then I was like, "Well, it's just it's just the orca going by. Like, there's nothing <laughs> special about it." But just yeah, there's these the way it kind of captures all three characters doing their own thing, and yeah. they really uh, they really make use of like the layers of the boat really well. Mm-hmm. Spielberg's got a future. Yeah. Yeah. I, my favorite shot in the entire film is coming up and it is, it's, it's on the Orca for sure. It's um, real subtle, but uh, I will save that for when we get to it. Um, Interesting. I'm speculating what it is now, but yeah, I love, (laughs) 
I love the sound mix in this scene where Brody's just mumbling his instructions <laughs> back to him. I've never really noticed that, but it's so funny. Like, um, I feel like this scene is the most I've ever related to Brody, where it's just like, one, I hate when I'm bad at stuff, even though it's like the first time I've done something. Like, if I don't get it immediately, I'm like, this is stupid. Uh, but... <laughs> Also, just, like, I process very much auditorily. So if, like, someone gives me instructions, I have to, like, repeat it back to myself while I'm doing it. And, like, his little mumbles are really great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I relate to him because I grew up in, like, a small fishing town in Alaska. Mm. Uh, no beaches, no sharks. But I can relate to, like, the small town and the fishing aspect. And, yeah, I, I was not a fisherman. I, mean, I didn't like, I didn't mind boats. I liked going out on the boat and seeing the scenery and bringing my michael crichton book of the day with me and reading it but uh but i was never into the fishing part and so i definitely could relate with like my parents trying to get me to help out with the fishing and give me the little club to beat the fish with when it comes on i just would give it a little couple love taps and then they'd <laughs> take the club away from me and send me back to read and they'd kill the fish <laughs> but yeah i mean i like i i mean that's part of the reason maybe i keyed in so much on his uh Brody's arc is because I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's me. That's me in the corner being like, I don't know how to tie this. Why do I need to know how to tie the knot? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the the great thing about this scene, I think, is the the slow build up of the the tension, but it still gives us those those great character moments and those great shots. And they, the way this film is is shot, they really make this boat look huge and it's in mm-hmm. these kind of first few scenes on the orca where we feel like we see every single angle of it we see the orca from from afar we see you know the that shot you were just talking about mj with the three of them in but different levels like we're up with hooper and then next minute we're sort of down at quince level and hooper is in the background and this boat is small i think like when you see it in a in a wide shot you're like oh this boat isn't like really that big like maybe they do mm. need a, a bigger boat like, <laughs> it's it's pretty small but they they make it feel absolutely huge in the in the sort of the the positioning of the characters and the way that it's shot and the different and interesting shots as well i think is is so effective and this uh, this bit with quint and mm. and the sort of like the real clicking i love how this scene builds the tension it just and quint is something dramatic always happens when quint is like taking a bite of a snack right like he knows what he's doing because <laughs> well he does <laughs> right before his like big you know y'all know me speech he's like mm-hmm. he goes to take a bite of uh, it looks like the same snack um, i'm assuming yeah like a little, little cracker or something of i don't know what it is but yeah in in this he like takes a bite of the snack and then that's when the real clicks for the first time and he got he goes to put it back in his mouth but he's very very slow about it as he's sort of Mm -hmm. like one eye on that reel at all times um but it's sort of like the 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 click of the reel the score coming in like very subtly creeping in Mm. uh quint looking down at the reel and then like the water ripples as well i mean i think we're we're probably heading Mm. in the making comparisons to jurassic park uh area but just that way of of creating that tension i mean i would like to think that (laughs) spielberg went like oh hey you know that water ripple thing we did in jaws when the shark like first took a bite like maybe we should do that again with like a cup of water in jurassic park (laughs) (laughs) 
That's so good. Well, I am a hundred percent reaching here, but there's another Jurassic Park uh, callback. I mean, I don't think it's intentional, but it made me think of it, and I'm pretty sure it's within our time code. At the very end, when Quint yells at uh, Hooper to to start the engine or whatever, there's the shot of Hooper up up there, and he's like holding. Uh, a rope with one hand and it's kind of up on one hand and it's just maybe it's the hooper stand in me but it's kind of like a sexy pose and like oh, it yeah. just reminded me of the, the malcolm Holden. shot with the open yep with the open mm-hmm. shirt like if hooper had an open shirt showing off that hairy chest right then like that would have been a pinup shot in mm-hmm. so many weird teenage girls' rooms <laughs> or just me right now to be honest i'm a big i'm a, I'm a hooper stand as well there you go it's, it's for you sarah it is just uh, it someone is. Just, someone photoshop Jeff Goldblum's black shirt open V <laughs> onto Hooper in that shot. Yes, please. I mean, we get a very a brief uh, shirtless Roy Scheider later on in the film, which yeah. is my favorite shot. No, it's not really. <laughs> <laughs> far too brief, far too brief. Yeah. <laughs> no, I go to, is it Marathon Man that's got the, like... Yes. Oh my yeah. God, he is jacked in that movie. <laughs> a legit snack in that film. <laughs> he looks ridiculous in that movie. Like, yeah. I remember the first time I watched Marathon Man and that scene happened, I was just like, whoa, what happened to Brody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a favorite of mine <laughs> that'll have to be the next one i watch i watch sorcerer because of you guys yay but marathon oh. man it's been on my list for a while anyway it's so a good I'll movie get to it it's a really good yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. i've heard mm-hmm. yeah oh I, but before we digress into making this yeah about sorcerer again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nope <laughs> Um, uh yeah quince quince cracker two points on that uh i'm glad that you remembered he was eating him in the uh, the meeting at the beginning <laughs> of the movie because i forgot till i watched mm-hmm. the movie last night and i realized he's doing something similar in both scenes he's fishing here he's literally fishing and in the first scene he's fishing for a job so that's kind of like his mm-hmm. would it be his fishing snack i don't know i don't know what <laughs> kind of cracker it is either at first i thought it was like a nutty buddy or nutter butter mm-hmm. but no or an animal cracker that didn't seem like quint it must just be a a saltine. It looks like a. It looks like a dog treat. Like it, it looks. <laughs> it does. It does. It looks like I was like, is he legit eating hardtack like a real pirate? Like what are what are we doing? Because it's got shape to it. That's why I thought animal cracker. Yeah. It's got like a shape to it before he starts nibbling, and then what does he do with it when the reel starts clicking? Yeah, he just eats it. Like no, no, he doesn't. That would make sense. He puts it in his pocket for later. Does he? He, oh, st- he? he sticks it in his pocket and like pats the pocket and then like attends to the reel. Oh, he sure does. Yeah. <laughs> He's saving that for later. Yeah. That may be the, I don't think he finishes the snack in the, like, when he's talking in the the town meeting either. So maybe it is, like, the exact same. <laughs> the same snack. <laughs> I've been working on this cracker all. <laughs> Oh yes! <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I <laughs> I didn't notice like because I I I don't like looking for continuity things. I spotted one in last week's scene and it upset me a little bit, which is like the the side that the reel is on um, with Quint in the in last week's scene. It changes and you don't mm. see him move it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I don't like no noticing oh, <laughs> things. Yeah. I mean, I can mm-hmm. I can get over it, but. Yeah, I had not I had not noticed where that little snack disappeared to. Um, but he nope. he 
puts it in right in his pocket. The right in his pocket. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. that is the that is the hardtack pocket. <laughs> <laughs> How many, like, that pocket just must be full of crumbs. Yeah. 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 Also, how many times do you think Quint has had to deal with scurvy? <laughs> a lot. A lot of times. Dread to think. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I, I have a lot to say about the snack. I do have one more note on the snack, <laughs> uh, which is, what I, what I love about the scene is Quint's taking nibbles while our dear friend Bruce is taking nibbles down below. Yes. Uh, and I do I do kind of like the the, the similarity there. Like, uh, what you're seeing on screen is representative of what's happening off screen. Yes, I agree. And I actually have a larger point on that, which is... Please. I think uh, this whole scene with him, I love how kind of like... <clears throat> it's not tentative and it's not cautious... It's calculated the way he mm. moves to do this. And it is, this is apex predator versus apex predator right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it the, the way Robert Shaw uses his eyes, not just to side eye like the reel when he hears it click, which is incredible. It's one of my favorite so bits good. of acting he does in the, in the film. Mm. Um, but the way like you watch his eyes lock focus onto the reel like you can see his eyes focus which is a weird thing to like i know you can't perceive that because it happens microscopically but you know exactly what he's doing and it looks no different than if you were to watch something on the discovery channel about like lions in the wild before they fought or something like it Mm -hmm. it, it is it is a predator locking eyes with another predator essentially um and it's really cool because we haven't had that. We've always had this predator-prey dynamic. Um, mm. And this is not that. This is something This is something new to the film. This is a new wrinkle we've had with, with the predators that have, have happened uh, mm-hmm. in, 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 over the course of the film so far. Well, to further that, too, and this is something I noticed because of you guys pointing out that predator-prey dynamic um, on the podcast previously. I've now keened into it. <laughs> and... Uh, Another similarity between Quint and the shark here is, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk more about it, about how he's like the only one aware of what's going on, Mm -hmm. right? Like no one else around him is keyed into this moment. And so it's kind of like all the shark POV shots where the shark's under the water and you see everyone swimming, but they're not aware of what's going on. And so here's kind of the reverse of that of Quint. Like he's aware, he's zeroed in on, on, on this moment, on the shark being in the area, but no one else around him is. Yeah, and the I think we've spoken maybe briefly about the sound design, but just to to praise it mm-hmm. again, like the sound of that real clicking. I mean, it's uh, it, you know a fairly straightforward <laughs> sound, but like to 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 make that sound feel so scary and so tense, I just think is is incredible, and it's loud enough, obviously, for us to hear it and Quint to hear it, but the fact that the other two are completely oblivious, it's obviously not so loud that. Brody can hear it over, you know, mumbling to himself about the little brown eel <laughs> and Hooper is, you know, flicking through his magazine up up top or whatever and, and whatever he's mm-hmm. <laughs> not a camera, whatever it was that he's that he's fiddling about with up there. Um and yeah, the it it does a lot 
in in this scene the sort of the the sound because we get the the creaks of the boat as well and that 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 mm-hmm. creak of the footrest as he like puts his mm-hmm. feet up onto it as well the sound that the clips make mm. when he sort of clips himself onto the reel it's all just so it's so good and it's i was noticing on this watch or, or when i was doing my prep for this episode i was noticing those sounds so much more than the score um, and the score is there, it's just very subtle, and then it's sort of like it, it kicks in a bit more in the sort of the next bit. Um, but it's not that sound of the shark that we've that we've heard previously when it is the the shark is the apex predator and the sh- and is going after the people who are completely oblivious to to his existence. This is a different it, it's got notes of it. It still sounds ominous and scary and is we presume is the shark that is the other end of of this line but it sounds very different and it is uh quint as the predator going up against the the other predator and what that made me think of and the sort of the very like slow and careful way that he sort of straps himself in and i think you mentioned in the description as well like going to battle i was getting that sort of like war and like soldier Mm -hmm. comparison sort of thing where it is like quint is getting ready to go into battle with his equal not with someone who you know not with uh, a weaker party or or anything like that this is definitely not predator versus prey this is predator versus predator and it's it does so many great things in this moment to make that believable that sort of the the fact that quint is the only one aware at least to begin with i think is very very important and yeah it is like he is putting on his armor or like readying his weapons or whatever to go into battle with a with a shark and we know obviously quint was was in the war and and that is something that comes out a lot later but we've had mentions of it leading up to this point where he's sort of you know all the all the good ones have been gone you know x amount of time or whatever and since the since the second world war so yeah, I I like that we're sort of seeing that that side of Quint uh, in sort of how he prepares to go up against the shark. So now I want the next Alien versus Predator movie just to be Quint versus Predator. <laughs> Would watch. Can can we make yeah. that? Yeah. Give me a shitty CGI uh, <laughs> Robert Shaw. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, can, we can we can just do that like face swap and just put Robert Shaw's face over Arnold Schwarzenegger's in the first Predator. Yep, and there we go. Just yeah. bill it as a whole new movie. That yep. works. <laughs> uh, so uh, this is this is happy uh, coincidence more than anything um, because I'm sure this term predates the film. Uh, but do you know uh, what he is sitting in? Yes. But I'll let you talk about it. I had to Google it. Uh, I also had to Google it while you were talking. Um, <laughs> it is called a fighting chair. Mm-hmm. That's what that apparatus is called. So I, I just looked at the, 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 the fish logo on the footrest. Um, and it says Rockaway, which is mm-hmm. a beach um, made famous by the Ramones song. Um, oh, there's a Rockaway beach here in Oregon. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Um, I think there's, it's, prob- there's probably a few. Yeah, I think it's I think the one that the Ramon song is named after is uh, New York, um, New yeah. York State. But so I was like, it's not, Rockaway's not just the, a beach and a Ramon song. Um, <laughs> so apparently Rockaway made fighting chairs. So this is a Rockaway branded fighting chair. But I yeah, and, I literally like looked up Rockaway fish chair. <laughs> <laughs> well, and don't you worry, MJ, if you keep scrolling, you'll see that they are for sale everywhere. And the ones that are replicas of the Jaws one say that they're replicas of the Jaws oh, one. Oh, that's great. So you've got your next Christmas list. Yeah. A out. fish locator. Oh, no. oh, they're so much more expensive than the fish locator. <laughs> yeah, they are. Holy crap. They're a few grand. Also, and I tried to track this while watching the movie last night. So I want you guys to, going forward, figure out what happens to the fighting chair. Because it's not on that mm. spot later in the movie. And, and so I don't know if there's a moment you see them, like, remove it. Mm. Just keep an eye out for that going forward. Because hmm. uh, I was wondering last week, Quint mentioned seeing a shark eat a rocking chair. And I was like, ooh, do we see the shark eat the fighting chair? I forget. <laughs> but we don't. It's gone by that point. Hmm. Uh, yeah, the sound design here uh, is de- it's definitely the elephant in the room of this scene. When I first learned I was getting the scene and watched it, I was like, well, we're going to have a deep dive in sound design. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, for a movie that is... M- easily most famous for its music like the sound design of this film is just spot on you guys have talked about it you got the buoys Mm -hmm. and the the foghorns and the water uh, lapping against the boat but yeah i mean here the sound design and the shot selection really kind of puts us in quint's head um like you were saying we are not hearing the sound the way uh brody is hearing it just a couple feet away we're hearing it the way quint's hearing it Mm -hmm. we're hearing every snap every creak every buckle and uh, I mean, I'm just a sucker for any scene in a movie where someone is aware of something going on in that scene and no one else is. And like the way like, yeah, Brody's kind of mumbling just drops out and all you hear is what Quint hears. I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's just it's all really good. And then again, like sound takes us out of that scene um, when Brody st- stands up or sits up and says, aha. <laughs> and I just do you guys think that's what scared the shark? Like he's just down there having his little mid morning nibble. And then all of a sudden he just hears, oh, <laughs> he took off he's like whoa 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 yeah. I didn't know anyone was going to be making a discovery here <laughs> <laughs> yeah where there's humans around we're in the middle of the ocean <laughs> Brody makes the the noise that I make when like someone makes a pun on the, on the- <laughs> <laughs> you just need that sound cue now to yeah, like a big like, button he's like way <laughs> I was like oh it may <laughs> Which I recently learned is apparently a, a universal British thing. Sure is. <laughs> what is it? So whenever whenever I make a pun or anyone makes a pun, Sarah goes, way! And oh. uh, I was watching a, a, a UK-based board game YouTube channel. and Like you do. Yeah. And... Uh, they were talking about a game that's similar to Jenga, so it's got, like, a tower of stuff, and then it falls over. And he was saying that, like, when the tower falls over, like, everyone around the table goes, way! And he was like, which <laughs> British people make whenever anything happens? And oh. I was like, what? Wait, hang on. I thought that was a Sarah-exclusive Sarah, a Sarah exclusive noise. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not. It's also 
hang on, I need to find out if this is just an exclusively British thing again. But like, if someone, you're in a restaurant or a bar or something, and someone drops something, like a member of staff, like smashes a glass on the floor, or someone just drops a thing they're mm-hmm. carrying, does is any noise made in a in a American uh, <laughs> bar? Does anyone so, like yell anything? Or in that well, video, he says that that's the noise they make when that happens. Sure is. Yep. <laughs> Oh, in America, we're just assholes and yell job opening. Which, oh. <laughs> as oh, no. a waiter who's dropped things before, I'm like, very funny. I've always heard like party foul. I've never heard job oh, opening. Then. That sucks. <laughs> no, no. That's, that's a back of house thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Well, look, I think my way is like a lot more positive then. So I feel like you guys 100%. need to introduce that. If you're, when you're next out, I mean, people will look at you like you're insane. <laughs> but when you're next out somewhere and it happens, if you're just like, way, and just get real excited about it, then. Does you know, the whole boom. restaurant do that? Pretty much, yeah. That's great. <laughs> Isn't that like a Jewish celebration thing where you, uh, no? I don't know. <laughs> like it's what break, the... You break the plate and everyone yeah. goes, ah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Look, I don't know how it started, uh, but it's a proud tradition and we will continue it. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's super funny. Um, <laughs> because like he, he did it and I was like, hey, that's what Sarah does. And then he says, we do that pretty much when anything happens. And he says, when someone <laughs> drops a plate or a glass or anything yes. goes sideways. <laughs> We uh, huh. we do that, and I was like, "That's super funny that you <laughs> you mentioned that." So Sarah's equating uh, breaking things with making puns. I mean, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, it ain't wrong. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Brody does it in this scene when he succeeds in tying the knot. So that's true. It's such a good that's noise. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and just like the the I love I know they did like editing because it's two different camera setups but like the edit from like pure joy to sheer confusion about what's happening yeah. is so yeah. good. I love what's happening. Well, there's a fish, Brody. The what do you think the fishing pole is here for? <laughs> he just goes what? He looks at the <laughs> he looks at the reel, looks at the ocean, looks back to the we- the reel and just goes, "What?" Like what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah brody we're here to catch a fish man did you know <laughs> uh look it's time to go reapply my zinc oxide guys i i can't be a part of this yeah, yeah it is, it's starting to wear off in this it's uh, wearing off yeah i noticed i noticed that it's almost completely gone but i think by the time we get to uh come down and chum some of this i think it's gone yeah. by that point yeah. He's got bigger things to worry about after that. Yeah, sure does. Sure does. 25 feet bigger. <laughs> um, I did remember what my whole uh, sound design was leading up to, or, or the extra point I wanted to make, is it's not just the sound design, but I love how like the, the visuals are kind of matching it, how like everything else is dropping away from Quint, because there's this great scene or shot of when Quint's moving the reel, the fishing pole from like the side holster to the center holster. And Brody's in the background, like, it's just the reel is all but completely obscuring Brody doing his thing. Mm. And it's just kind of a nice visual companion to the uh, auditory Mm. uh, uh, focus that's going on. It's a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, Did you guys see what time it was? Uh, No. (laughs) First first shot of the scene is Brody's watch. uh, And if it's to be 
believed it's 10 11 in the morning which means if this is the same day as the previous scene no shocker here quint is an early drinker <laughs> you don't say i mean <laughs> i know i know bombshell guys yeah that was his you know. breakfast beer got <laughs> 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 Uh, he's just pre-gaming to that saltine later. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's maritime law. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> and he is a law-abiding man. <laughs> <laughs> Brody has no jurisdiction here. They're, they're in international <laughs> <right>. waters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is funny. I'd not, I knew he was wearing a watch because i saw it i think in the i don't know if it was in that bit or later but i didn't think to pause it and and look at the time so uh well done <laughs> this is the type of deep dive i'm into oh well, well you're in the right place <laughs> <laughs> i even i even tried checking it i was gonna see if i could back up mj's time travel theory because i was like there's no way that watch is gonna match later on when we see it a couple shots later <laughs> but it matches it's no. still 10 10 12 the next time you see it um i i love how uh we haven't talked about this and it's kind of jumping around kind of back to back to the beginning a little bit um i love when quint just tells him well nothing's easy is it chief it's the most like laid back uh, whatever type of thing like i've had my i've had my breakfast beer i've taken the edge off Eh, you win some, you lose some. Try again. <laughs> well, it is Quint's great way of kind of like, because he the way he insults Brody is night and day from the way he insults Hooper, yeah. right? Like, Hooper, the insults are out for everyone to hear. And Brody, they're all disguised as almost like friendly things. You know, like last episode when he's like, uh, why don't you just have me tell you which rope to pull, Chiefy? Mm -hmm. uh, you, you don't know which rope. Just, I know. Let me know. And then here, it's like, oh, nothing's easy, is it? Well, <laughs> tying a knot should be easy, but uh, but he makes it sound like a friendly, uh, and what's the word I'm looking for? Encouragement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, you get the contrast at the end of the scene where he, like, Hooper's not moving fast enough for him. So he's just like, Hooper, reverse her. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I had to put my skin diver magazine away, okay? <laughs> That still sounds like it's, it's, it's not what else. you think, Quint. <laughs> Stop ripping pages out of my skin diver magazine. Yeah, it does not sound like a diving magazine. <laughs> yeah, that, pic that picture of the parrots going next to the uh, the close up of the couple kissing. <laughs> uh, oh boy. Well, I mean, that sort of uh, in a weird way is leading me to my next point. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it does uh, I don't want to be crass but Please. The, the positioning of the fishing mm. rod uh, <laughs> I see when we get to when we get to Quint sort of like buckling buckling himself in and, and positioning the, the fishing <clears throat> rod like between his, oh, there's no good way of saying. Hmm, this. I don't. I'm not following yeah, you, I get it. Sarah. What? Yeah, hmm. putting the the fishing rod like between his his legs. The fact he clips it onto himself. Uh, the thing I wrote in my notes is that like the 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 rod, if you will, is an extension like of himself. And I my my ser my serious point on that is I feel like it's a. Uh, I mean, masculinity is one of the yeah. kind of key things that mm -hmm. we see throughout the film, and this is 
I, I think one of the yeah this is this is Quint wanting to assert his his dominance and it's it's um I mean can I say big dick energy that's what I'm getting from there <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm getting from this scene that's my point uh, <laughs> I, I'm just ashamed I didn't pick up on that so thank you Sarah because that is a hundred percent the sort of thing we would make an entire bit out of on my podcast <laughs> look if someone's gonna lower the tone it's probably gonna be me so <laughs> Quint's got a dildo. <laughs> Well, you know, a, a rod. Um, well, <laughs> you know, whatever you, know. you want to call it. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but I think there is, there is like, in the serious clinical, I mean, hee-hee dicks, but um, <laughs> there is, like, in the serious, like, uh, also check the, the, the Discord if you want. Yeah. Um, I absolutely have already. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> There's, there is kind of a lot of, like, phallic imagery in the film, like, even yeah. on the poster, right? Like, the, you know, kind of looks like a penis. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I think we see, like, at the beginning of the film, we see, like, the that very masculine type of energy applied to a woman. And, and mm. you know, she's taken out of this. It's almost like the, the, the slasher film thing where she's, like, punished for being sexual. Um, cause she's like naked and like, you know, probably going to hook up with this guy mm. and, um, then she gets, you know, she gets eaten by the shark for it. And so, uh, the, oh gosh, the virgin horror complex, is that what it's called? Uh, right. you, you got me convinced. Uh, Madonna horror <laughs> complex. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, yeah, it is, uh. Well, it says it's the inability to maintain sexual arousal within a committed loving relationship, but that's like it's like <clears throat> you apply that to uh, like female characters in film and literature, um, and it's not like when it says like sexual arousal, it's not talking about like during the act, but it's just like we want them to we want like we in in our film and literature we want women to act very virginal, but we also want them to be like sex pots type of stuff mm-hmm. and so that's kind of like the beginning of the film um which i don't remember if we talked about um i believe you did yeah. yeah uh so it's there's there's that at the beginning and now there's this which is you know obviously like the two apex predators but it's you know it, it is sort of a dick measuring contest too <laughs> like if you get right down to it and mm. um so yeah that's a good point i consider that too i wasn't sure if we were gonna talk about that on the on the show but <laughs> Did uh, Sarah say that he straps it on and we let that go without <laughs> comment? I just want I just want to make sure that that's what happened. <laughs> Look, I was trying to like say Rod in a way that wasn't in any way <laughs> crass, but There's, I failed. <laughs> it's impossible. It's an impossible task. Yeah, it's it not is. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you. you can say you can say fishing rod and it's fine, but then you start talking about it in this context, and it, yep, it doesn't matter. Yeah, because I feel like the positioning of the fishing rod between his legs, it's just, yeah. it's, it's its a one-way <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it kind of already looks like it in that one shot I was talking about where, mm. th- with Hooper on top of the boat, like the three of them. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it kind of already looks that way. Like, it is, it yeah. is definitely shot uh, to imply <laughs> that, um, whether consciously or not, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, this film definitely examines masculinity, and I, uh, I think that's an entirely accurate point. <laughs> yeah, and especially like the character who 
this happens with, right? Like, he is the most yeah. probably traditionally masculine character in the whole film. Um, mm-hmm. So it's real easy to kind of put, put put that imagery onto, onto that character for sure. Yeah, it'd be weird if it was, like, Brody in this, uh, doing something like that at this point, because he is <laughs> yeah. not yeah. <laughs> in that sort of position that Quint is in, was sort of feeling very confident and very... I mean, cocksure, right? That's not like an appropriate <laughs> phrase. Um, <laughs> I, I don't get it, guys. <laughs> I'll explain it to you later. <laughs> okay, please, thank you. Uh, cocksure. Um, <laughs> it's about roosters, right? We're talking about roosters? Yep, yep. It, was a, it was a parrot. It was a parrot in the magazine, yeah. not a rooster. Oh, guys. right, right. I forgot. Yeah, sorry. The thing yeah. is, too, mm-hmm. it, and also... I think initially you kind of wanted, because of how Hooper looks and acts, you want to be like, oh, it'd be weird if it was Hooper too, but it wouldn't be as weird as if it was Brody, um, if you think about it. Because Hooper, like, Hooper is constantly trying to prove the fact that he's worthy of being on this vessel. And we we know, the audience knows that he is. So it would would look weirder, especially for the way they're, like, kind of coding um, Hooper to be sort of like the, the... quote least tradition the the not i won't put quotes around it but the least traditionally masculine character mm-hmm. in the film um it would like it would play weirder i think than if brody were to do it but then if you were to think about it in the context that we're doing it it wouldn't be as weird mm. mm-hmm. should we bring up that quint asks brody to wet his reel or should we just let that one lie <laughs> We should probably just leave that one alone. Oh, man. <laughs> that is, that is. It's all on you, MJ. I, I hear those gears are turning. Yeah. What's MJ going to say next? Well, I mean, there's okay. a very, there's, it's, there's very obvious, like, lube reference in there, right? Like, <laughs> hmm? I don't know. Is there? Yes. <laughs> yes, there is. Shut the up, answers, everyone. Yes. <laughs> Don't put this just on me. <laughs> I started it. Look, I'll take responsibility for how this podcast has ended up. It's fine. <laughs> Gold star for Sarah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. She gets an extra doggy treat at the end of this. <laughs> like Bonus ration of hardtack for Sarah. Um, uh, now I want to make a brand of like little snack cookies. They're just called like quince dog treats. They're shaped like sharks, obviously. Oh, yes. Obviously. <laughs> Oh, I want those. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I was like, I mean, I, w- I would eat them. If they were like Teddy Grahams, but just sharks. Yeah. I would totally eat those. With, with Robert Shaw's face on the packaging, I'm, here's my money. Like the Newman's own packaging. <laughs> but now I'm just thinking of like Quint dressed up as like a Roman and like cowboy, whatever all those different dressings are. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's Some right. of which are a little problematic. Yeah. Don't they have him in a sombrero on one of those? I think so. Okay. Do you know what that is, uh, Paul- Sarah? Are you familiar with the Newman Zone? Oh. Uh, nope. Okay, so so <laughs> Paul Newman had, like, a salad dressing company or something? They make mm-hmm. a bunch that's of stuff. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But the the logo is, like, Paul Newman's face, but then he is, like, dressed appropriately for what style of food you were to apply the salad dressing to. Oh, okay. Like in Ratatouille. He's a man of... <laughs> mm-hmm. Like in Ratatouille when they... Yes, uh, they yeah, like... so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah got it. 
<laughs> yeah, or um, B movie with Ray Liotta. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, no, no, we're not making B movie references. <laughs> Too late, it already happened. So in B movie, they have Ray Liotta <laughs> making Honey, and that is a direct parody of the Newman's Own Brand. Oh my goodness, I. <laughs> it's been a minute since I've watched B movie, but I need to watch it. <laughs> I need no. to see that. The trailers for B-Movie were the only good thing to come out of that. Uh, no. There <laughs> the was trailers also, are amazing. There is also Jerry Seinfeld showing up in a B-costume at con that year. Uh, well, that was because that was the trailer was him showing up in a B-costume. Oh, was trailers. it? Yeah, and Eddie Izzard was the director. Oh. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. the trailers were all like them thinking they were going to do it live action. Like Jerry Seinfeld shows up in the B B-costume. And there it is. And, uh, and then like the director's like, we're just doing this animated, Jerry. Oh, yeah, I don't remember that it being the trailer. In which the case, most it's the most meta thing. marketing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, the, the, the marketing minds behind B Movie were much better than the uh, creative minds behind the movie itself. Yes. Mm, you're not yes. wrong. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Well, <laughs> this has taken a turn, and now I can't stop looking at B Movie memes uh, on the internet. Oh, my so. gosh. <laughs> I apologize, Sarah. This this should not be your reward for uh, <laughs> bringing up rods on this yeah. podcast. Oh, I'm just looking okay. at that picture of the honey, and I'm like, how did we get? <laughs> how did we get here? Um, Especially yeah. from the like the 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 sexual psychoanalysis that it started from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All roads lead. To We're me, really maybe. mature guys. Yes. Good work, everyone. <laughs> a plus. We did uh, it. <laughs> Yep. Um, yeah, if you guys don't have anything else, I think this pure chaos is what we will leave it at. Well, my only remaining note is kind of pure chaos itself, so I'll just bring it up now. Uh, Sarah first thought uh, the items in the magazine were cameras or that there was a camera involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, at the, my first guess was that they were microphones. They kind of looked like microphones, the regulators. Mm. And I was like, is Hooper planning to start a minute-by-minute breakdown podcast of his fishing trip with mm-hmm. Quint? Because that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, we in, wasn't it in the when he's examining Chrissy's remains. Uh, um, I can't remember our guest for that episode, but oh like, yeah, Hooper's little headset. He was like, oh yeah, like <laughs> would Hooper have oh, a podcast? Yeah. I'm like, Hooper would absolutely have a podcast. Yeah, would you had planted the seed for that thought in my head. Yeah. That's where that came from. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. But now we know that it was a minute by minute breakdown of a fishing trip with Quint, which would probably be a very entertaining podcast. Oh, I would listen to that. This is what Quint called me in this minute. I feel like Quint would destroy the uh, recording apparatus. <laughs> oh, yeah. He has a penchant yeah. for destroying microphones, so. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Sarah, did you have anything else? <laughs> I've got nothing. I'm <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's gone. Uh, yeah, no, I've, I have nothing left in my notes, but boy, have we covered a lot of grounds on this yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Put a lot of miles on this old podcast in this one episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, this. <laughs> you guys familiar with the phrase "road hard and put away wet"? <laughs> I am now. I am now. Well, it was a uh, real good conversation, guys. Hey. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got one. I got one. Yep. Uh, road hard and put away wet is a horse term, by the way. Uh, if oh wow, yep. doesn't sound like it. Yep, it's if you. It's basically if you if you don't cool down a horse after like a long ride or something or like an intense training session. 
Um, I don't know why they call it road hard and put away wet, but mm. it can like it's it's like not stretching after a workout basically. Um, yeah. But yeah, they made it the like dirtiest phrase possible. <laughs> <laughs> Those equestrians. Anyway, we rode this podcast hard and put it away wet. Is <laughs> my Google history? Can I just say is insane right now? It's like Smash Mouth bread. B-movie honey. <laughs> I also googled cocksure just to make sure I was using the right phrase. <laughs> so, uh, yes, well, Facebook now definitely thinks I want to buy old copies of Skin Diver magazine and fighting chair replicas. <laughs> That's all the ads I've been getting in the past 48 hours. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to a 60-year-old man who lives on Cape Cod. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's you, right. Are become, getting... you are become the cornflakes dock captain. <laughs> um, uh, and with that, Cameron, do you have anything you want to plug? Sure, yeah. Um, I do uh, have my own podcast, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> uh, rods get brought up more more often than not. Uh, yeah, my, my usual uh, podcasting hours are... Uh, involved with our podcast green shirt a newbie's trek through the next generation where i am the titular green shirt watching star trek the next generation for the very first time with my slightly more knowledgeable friends uh we're just about to start season five uh the day this drops yesterday for all you listeners uh we have just released a bonus recast episode where we recast the next generation and that's a lot of fun so um yeah you can find that uh at any uh pod uh, catcher that you might listen to. You can find us at greenshirt87 on Twitter, facebook.com slash greenshirtpodcast and greenshirtpodcast on Instagram. And then I'll also uh, mention I'm part of a all puppet horror movie, monster horror movie uh, that's currently at film festivals doing pretty good. You can find more about Frank and Zed at puppetcore.com. You can watch the trailer there and see that it really is kind of something super cool, whether you're into puppets or horror or both. And um, and yeah, you'll be able to find out if it's playing at a festival near you or you can just kind of talk about it and try to get the word out and help us find distribution. This looks awesome. <laughs> it's pretty cool. This looks great. Oh my God. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm not being biased. Like, it's it really is something special. Like, You've never seen anything like it before. Holy crap. By the way, I don't want to stereotype, but that was the most <laughs> tell me you live in Portland without telling me you live in Portland. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, Mission accomplished. Also, is it? Is, do you guys talk about rods a lot because of Gene Roddenberry? Oh, we will now. <laughs> no, mostly we just noticed that like every prop looks like a dildo. Uh, that That's a running gag. Got it. <laughs> Um, Sarah, do you have anything to plug? <laughs> um, I I don't. I I oh. my other podcast series has ended now, so you can find that uh, where you listen to podcasts. Uh, if you want to listen to me talk about Disney, uh, you can search for Jumpcast and find all of that. Um, but I will mention here uh, a sweet, sweet victory that we had in the week just gone. Uh, on our last episode, we spoke a lot about the the beer, the uh, Quint's beer of choice, uh, his breakfast beer, as we have established in this episode, uh, <laughs> is uh, is the Ganset, and uh, I sent a, a little tweet out to Ganset, and it was, I think I just said, "What does a Jaws podcast got to do to get some of the uh, get a crate of the good stuff?" And our good pals at Ganset have uh, 
agreed to send MJ a crate of the like it's, it's the Jaws special crate right with the 75 yeah. um yeah the replica can kind of can yeah so we're very excited about that um I'm not getting anything but I will just live vicariously through MJ and enjoy when that does arrive uh I hope that can <laughs> will be crushed uh we've had some practice we put our <laughs> yeah <laughs> I've got a, I've got a crush one now right like it's mm-hmm. you have to yeah, I feel like it would be irresponsible not to. It sure Do would. we know if they have, like, the tear-off tab? I don't think they like do. Like they had in 75? No, I don't yeah. think they do. I was, I was looking at them to see if they had the, if they had replicated that. By the way, since that episode, I have tried to rip off the pull tab on every single thing I've gotten. <laughs> and Same. It, to, to no avail. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's impossible. I think, like uh, Nick said last week, I think they... The the ring pulls were different in the seventies. I think yeah. they've made them smaller now. Uh, that's my excuse, and I'm sticking with it because I failed spectacularly when I tried to do it. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I have something to promote, but I'm gonna forego my own promotion and say you guys should go to puppetcore.com and look at the trailer for Frank and Zed because this looks amazing. <laughs> and uh, the pull quote from Nerdist says it feels at once like we're watching a Henson film of old and a new Raimi masterwork. And uh, I need to put every second of this in my eyeballs because if you ever want to sell me a movie, that is the quote you need to say to me to make me do everything in my power to try to see this. So go give them a shout and watch the trailer. And yeah, I want to see this so bad now. (laughs) I will make it happen for you, MJ. I don't know how, but I will. Yeah, uh, as far as stuff for the show goes, uh, we hit 10,000 plays, which uh, happened the same day that our Gansett victory happened. So that feels very appropriate. But thank you guys so much uh, for doing that. We really, really appreciate it and kind of can't believe it. Um, (laughs) 10,000 plays in less than a year of doing this is, uh, I don't know. It kind of blew my mind when I saw we were that close. And then when we crossed the threshold less than 24 hours after I had realized that we were that close. Um, (laughs) So thank you guys for making that happen. Um, To show our love for you guys, we are running another contest, a 10,000 play celebratory contest um, that you can find on our Twitter page at Jaws for a minute on Twitter. Um, It is, is it just a like, retweet, follow type thing? Yeah, yeah, just follow follow us uh, if you're not already. It'd be weird if you weren't, but um, yeah, and retweet the tweet, and then that's that's it. Straightforward. Yep, and that'll uh, that'll get you entries until September 10th. Yes, that seems okay. correct. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, you can win you can win a T-shirt of one of our two incredible designs, which were made by um, Alex at Hex Shadow on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would like to purchase one of those, you can go to our Redbubble page or our T Public page um, in uh, our bio at Jaws for a minute again on Twitter to, to find the link to that. If you'd like to support us, um, we have another contest running through our Coffee page. Um, so a, a minimum three dollar donation will go towards uh, an entry of winning another a, a piece of merch. This is a separate contest, so if you basically if you do both of those things. If you do the retweet contest and the coffee contest, you double your chances of winning. Um, and if you've already donated in the past, you are in, you are automatically entered into the, the coffee drawing um, for the future unless you've won already. So 
Um, yeah, if you want to follow uh, Sarah on Twitter, at Sarah Buttery, S-A-R-A-H-B-U-D-D-E-R-Y. You can follow me at MJSmith891. You can email the show, jawsforaminute at uh, gmail.com. We got a wonderful email from a listener about their recent Cape Cod adventure. Um, <laughs> so thank you for that. And uh, if you would like to purchase our theme song, at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram. She uh, wrote and performed and recorded our wonderful theme song, and you can hear the full version on her Bandcamp, and there's a link to her Bandcamp in, uh, I believe, our bio as well as her bio um, as part of our link tree. So, yep. And just let me interject there and say absolutely do that, especially if you have kids. <laughs> My kids love that song. Uh, they know the short version that comes on at the beginning of the podcast and the long version, which I did buy and download just so they could listen to it. Nice. And uh, they, they love it. They'll ask for it just if we'll be driving the car and they'll be like, hey, can we hear the Tiger Shark song? <laughs> and then I got to navigate to Bandcamp and play it for them. But uh, uh, yeah, no, if, if you've got kids, trust me, that that song is a banger. Yeah, it's uh, it's real good. And I enjoyed I mean, I love it, too. But yeah. like. I was surprised, like, how much my kids, who don't love a lot of specific songs, love it. That's funny. I feel like it's the next evolution from Baby Shark, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's what it was, too. <laughs> they don't ask for Baby Shark so much anymore. Now they ask for Tiger Shark. Hey, so do yourself parents, a favor. Upgrade. Yeah. It's a much better song. <laughs> so there you have it. I think that's the best thing you could say to sell the, to sell the song. I think so. Um... Yeah, if you guys uh, also, we, we don't get to 10,000 plays without, not only without you guys, but without you guys engaging with the, the show. So um, please rate, review, um, subscribe on uh, your podcatcher of choice. Share the show with your friends. Um, it's, it's a free way to support the show. And um, we have, I've noticed like a big uptick in that lately. And it makes me feel mm-hmm. very nice every time. Um, so uh, thank you for continuing to do that. We will be here next week. Uh, with either a more or less chaotic episode. And I (laughs) hesitate to think about what a more chaotic episode would feel like. But until that time, it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere.